hey, how's it going, Eamon? Good. Do do you smell this place? I do. Is that is it cinnamon? It's got kind of a I think spice. Yeah, to it. like nutmeg maybe. Oh, that's what it is. It's delicious, whatever it is. Yeah, it's kind of a molassesy under undertone I think it's too. The table, like I didn't really realize it when we first came in, but I think this whole place is like made out of gingerbread or something. Whoa. Oh no. Wait, Eamon, are we being taken in by a witch? Is that is this a witch house? Arthur, let's cross that bridge and we come to it. I'm looking at the menu and this place, it's a conjoined bakery and bar. I'm going to get a butter beer. Oh, wow. I'm going to get a root beer float, but with actual beer. And right. instead of ice cream, I'm going to get uh, fried ice cream. Baked Alaska. Yes. Oh, goodness. Well, I guess this is my cheat day. Oh, it's going to be decadent. But you know what? I deserve it because I have a highlight to share that was a really stressful and intense thing that I'm really glad I did and got through. Tell me more. So ordinarily during highlights from recent games, we'd like to talk about the Dungeon World games we play at the table with people uh, both in our own homes, in shared spaces, and across the world via the internet. I actually have sort of a weird twist on that, which is that this past Wednesday, I performed in a live improv show using Dungeon World as as the format. So for 25 minutes, I ran Dungeon World on stage for a few friends with the friends acting out the actions of their characters. Um, I jumped in as NPCs as necessary and kept things kind of moving along that way. And it was definitely the most difficult 25 minutes of Dungeon World I've ever played, but I had so much fun. Wow. So it was like a combined Dungeon World LARP? basically yeah i didn't really think of it as a larp at the time but we were swinging around fake wooden swords that i'd cut out at the at my office workshop earlier and there was there was no like live combat it was all stage and we were all looking for opportunities to roll dice rather than hit each other but it had that kind of larping energy of like here here we are pretending that we are truly in this space and acting that way but you were like standing up and whatnot. Yeah, standing up on a stage in front of an audience. Was there like a table nearby with dice or did you have some kind of like screen projecting dice? Or That's actually it's, it's a really funny question. Uh, the way we did dice was um, we asked audience members to rate things on a scale of one to six. Oh, OK. So I would go to two audience members and say rate uh, pineapple pizza on a scale from one to six. And then like that role would just give you your resolution. Exactly. For the action. And all of the prop weapons that we had had like plus two or minus one to stats written on them as a cheat sheet for what the characters were. Cool. So you you basically made your own sort of game there. I did. It was very powered by the apocalypse, except without the dice. It really was very Dungeon World because we explicitly named our playbooks at the beginning of the uh, at the beginning of the of the show. Cool. What was like the best single moment you think from that? Ooh, that's a hard one. Uh, there was a moment when the when our three when the three player characters kind of switched roles into the three villains, which is sort of a trick that we use to keep things interesting, so that I'm not just up there being all the bad guys. And they started to like cackle amongst themselves, and we'd established that they were poisoning the river upstream somehow, but we didn't know what they were. So I did the improv trick of going to the audience and asking what they are. And got the response, bankers. So we ended up having you know, a 25-minute show about people saving the forest from the evil bankers who were poisoning the river. <laughs> which wow. was pretty good. Which what was set the... up stuff. It set up stuff like I got to be a, uh, an automated teller mannequin at one point. Which was just a construct there to do minor transactions for people. Man, I like that vibe. This is sort of like... Kind of, kind of like some of the stuff we were talking about before the show. Sort of like an adventure time slash like uh, um, over the garden wall style thing where there's like remnants of like an adult world, like caught up in a more storybookish world. That that's really accurate to sort of the vibe we ended up cultivating on stage. Was were you in a um? It was like a community theater setting. Yeah, so I, I take classes at a local improv theater, and I signed up to do a show with this format a, a few months ago, and then the time we got was this past Wednesday. Cool. Good good showing and good things. Yeah, we, we had a beautiful audience. It was really fun. Well, I'm so glad. I wish I could have made it. Yeah, well, next time. This will not be the last with any luck. I had a recent game as well. Um, 
I think it was two Mondays ago, um, actually with someone that I met from the Discord. So someone from the Discord said like, hey, I, I live in your area. Um, and they said that they had, they were, they had an, uh, a game that was like every other week. And, um, and I actually went with my wife. Um, but I didn't know that they were like regular podcast listeners. So we got there and they were like, Oh, this is the guy from the podcast. Like, uh, and <laughs> I felt like it gave me this like false veneer of like professionalism or the, <laughs> the, um, so I feel like there was like pressure on both sides that they were like, we need to watch what we say, like, cause it might be on the show. And I was like, I need to <laughs> be on my game to actually make a good showing as a good role player and whatnot. But it was really interesting. Um, there was a lot of, I think the highlight for me was like just the, uh, the setting that was created because they were starting a new campaign and the default like thing that the, um, that the GM said was it was, it was Lord of the Rings. Like it was literally like we were in middle earth and this was happening like, uh, in the third age, like before the war of the ring, like during the time when the ring was still lost somewhere. Uh, but the GM also said like, Oh, but there's also like ancient technology, like scattered around the world. So like one player was, playing as like a playbook that was called the warforged which mm. is i think a, i think a hallmark from from eberron where they're, they're basically like an ancient basically a robot that was like made for some ancient war that was like discarded and like had been reactivated or whatever and i and all of our playbooks were um basically like race as class playbooks like one person was playing as the elf and one person was playing as the halfling and i was playing as the dwarf and so like your you, all of our moves were kind of based around that so pretty interesting um i um i had a moment where um uh, got to do some fun fun role playing and 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 be like know things about monsters like because i was a dwarf and that that sort of thing um yeah and i was also i think another highlight from that game for me would be um out of character and just like hospitality that um the first public game i've been to where the person was uh like get fed us dinner and like they had you know like snacks out and stuff like that um because a lot of times i've gone to play in public spaces and people are just sort of playing out of their backpack so it was nice to be received in a home that's very very nice uh, in particular that last point i've talked on the show before about how much i love hosting people and making food and having snacks and whatnot but i also acknowledge that it's above and beyond and that for many people that's not a reasonable thing to to put out as a required part of hosting or running a game but when I hear about other people doing it out there in the world, it makes me feel happy on the inside that we're sort of in this shared fraternity of people who go out and give food to players. Yeah, so shout out to Gnome Breath on the Discord. Thanks for the pizza. Gnome Breath, you sound cool as heck, and you should be proud. All right. I mean, speaking of going to a place that's got uh, goodies to be found and some, some loot, around the table we got we got some loot for you guys that's right in today's adventure workshop we're going to be sharing out some items that we like both that we've come up with and that we found from around the internet and also come up with some ways that we can use them in our games and some of the reasons why we've used them ourselves let's present roll out the parade of items yeah you want to start I would love to. So our first item of the parade is the ship in a bottle. This ordinary human uh, human holding boat can be collapsed into a bottle and then held comfortably in a pocket. It has one weight when it is in its collapsed form. If the bottle is destroyed, the ship remains at its current size at the at the size that if the bottle is destroyed while the ship is out, then it stays big. If the bottle is destroyed while the ship is in, then it stays small. Um, when expanded, it is a large enough boat to comfortably hold three to four uh, human-sized people, more if they are smaller, fewer if they are large. The boat is uh, under sail, although it does have one oar in it for light wind days. And that uh, that is the item. The ship in a bottle. Nice. I really like the idea of um, the utility of that, 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 that there could be a, a part in an adventure where it would be really convenient to like have a vessel 
like for like an overland voyage and the scene of like adventures being on the run and like whipping out of their pocket this bottle and like just the the dismay on the faces of their pursuers as they like pull a ship out of nowhere is pretty mm-hmm. special yeah, you could pull- also have um different versions of that item like an airship in a bottle mm-hmm. um or or other such things as that might be totally cool. I love the idea, actually, of popping the cork on a bottle and then a hot air balloon just sort of erupts from it. <laughs> and then suddenly you're escaping. Yeah, the, and it's, it's funny you say, oh, it, it would be very convenient. It actually came up because my in my game, I was about to have the players jump out of a boat. And I was like, oh, no, but then they have to leave the boat behind while they're swimming. I guess I'd better come up with some fun way that they can keep the boat handy while they're going and swimming down to the to the depths. And that is where the ship in a bottle was born. So purely, like you like you said, out of convenience in the story. All right, I've got an item. The Dragon's Pipe. This is based off of something that I saw on a forum somewhere, but I don't remember the the creator. So this is going to be my own version of it. If it is your, if we're coming up with something based on something you wrote, came up with, write in, let us know, and we'll cite you and we'll cite our sources in the comments. Yes, claim it. Yeah. So as the essential idea of this pipe is that um, if you take the the pipe, it kind of looks like a a Drake's claw or a Wyvern's claw holding a small golden cup, which is the bowl of the pipe. And if you puff into it and furiously smoke and take deep deep draws in the pipe for like five to six minutes of like heavy smoking, you can actually breathe fire. Um, so uh, and then um, your lungs will be um quite uh will sting quite a bit after that so you can't do it uh you know to just chain it too much without harming yourself but um in in game basically you can uh make a special special attack move if you have built up a good enough uh head of smoke on it um and basically do an area an area attack with a burning tag would would be how I would run that. But I just like the idea of a character, like other characters defending this character as they're like furiously like smoking until they're like ready. And then they just like let out like a dragon's breath. I like that a lot there. I I also in my head, I'm immediately jumping to the classic Gandalf with a long pipe, breathing out elaborate shapes, way more elaborate than should be possible to form. Absolutely. This that that could definitely be an aesthetic effect of this pipe as well. Pi- I think pipes have a a uh, a storied history in fantasy Absolutely. series. And so I love the idea of breathing out a firework, like it's a <laughs> pillar of flame. No, it's actually a heart, and there's a smiley face. I like the sort of Mary Poppins idea of breathing out like a a staircase of smoke or something that you can actually like walk on. Oh, totally. Yeah, uh, imagine the the culture that has developed this dragon pipe and then uses it for smoke signals across the plains just by opening and closing their mouth their mouths okay so i guess i'll move on to my next item it's a collection of seeds you don't know what these seeds might grow into but if you find a particularly fertile ground on which to plant them maybe something will come out of it this item, I think the main utility that I've that I have for it is it is a way to encourage characters to put down roots, literally, to figure out a place where they'll return and then see what's growing. And by setting up the collection of seeds as being something with a payoff, it makes a, it allows us to do sort of returns into a place that is changing. Fundamentally, it's changing because something is growing there. And then at the end, something has grown, they get to pluck that thing and it's useful. And whatever that happens to be might be just whatever fits into your campaign. But it's sort of a, I guess, a weird item in that it's not really something that you carry with you and it's a signature to you. It's more like something that over time you're you're leaving something behind, which is a vibe that I like to cultivate in general in my games. What sorts of things could you grow? Could you grow like a house or is it like you're growing you know, small furniture or are you growing well, like pets? So I think it could be, it could really be any of those things. My, in my imagination, it's basically when you return to this place, there will be something here for you that has grown. And that might be something unbelievably like specific or 
Uh, I think your example of furniture or a house could definitely be something that grows out of it, but it could also be something more mundane. It could just be a particular fruit that you didn't realize would grow in this region. Or it could be the missing ingredient to, to a potion that you're trying to brew. It's something where you can, as the GM, sort of leave yourself an opening for introducing something else later. That's narratively like a really nice, because like it's like a built-in callback, right? That you're, they're, they're, there'll be that outstanding element of like, I wonder what grew, you know, and like they're waiting to come and find out. So absolutely. I, I could even see it um, in certain campaigns with certain tones uh, being like a child grew, you know, or like something really surreal like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. The, uh, right. in, in one of my games, I had the collection of seeds be something that death gave back on a, on a bargain on a seven to nine Ooh. consequence of a last breath move. Oh, and like they had to plant them. Yeah. Interesting. Like not knowing what would grow. Precisely. Hmm. Ha 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 ha. I like the idea that like death gives you like a double-edged gift. Like that's their, um, that's like part of the bargain. Oh yeah, that's the main thing that I have death do. All right, I have an item here uh, from Josh Gary. This is the origami. Uh, bestiary is that pronounced uh, bestiary or bestiary i've, I've, I've never heard it been both sure. ways i think it's a it's if it's a britishism that they might say bestiary sometimes mm. well the origami origami bestiary it's ragged zero weight five uses it's an old leather bound book with all but five pages torn out when you tear out a piece of paper and fold it into an origami creature describe what your creation looks like the creature will then come to life and grow to the full size of its real-world counterpart. The origami creature will follow you until it is destroyed. When you command the creature to fight with you, you add plus two to damage to any attack during which the creature assisted you. When you command the creature to protect you during a battle, you add plus one armor, but the creature will be destroyed at the end. Be careful not to use an origami creature around fire or water, for they're still paper and are destroyed easily. Outside of combat, you can use the creature to accomplish almost anything within the creature's normal abilities. For example, an origami dragon can be used for aerial attacks or as a means of transport, but will not be able to breathe fire. Have you seen Kubo and the Two Strings? No, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, that that uh, movie makes it makes a lot of use of origami characters characters that are made of paper and have to interact with the world as paper and who can also unfold themselves and slip through things as a result oh cool like kind of like paper mario there's a um there's a part in uh spirited away where there's all those like paper birds and they're like attacking that dragon i always thought they were such a cool enemy yeah um oh now that i think of it there's actually a part in uh kill six billion demons the webcomic where um i think uh there's a char- there's a this demon who's like one of the main characters named Sio, and she has this notebook, and she has these little like paper men in the notebook that she like uh like weaves out with this like red string to do for different things. Like at one point, she like made a, a wall around herself with like overlapping paper dolls, uh, and yeah, it was just it was a really cool like form of magic. All right, I'm gonna jump in now with my last item. Keeping the nautical theme going from my first, this item is gill silk. It's a long, green, fibrous plant. It grows underwater in certain warmer regions of the world than where we are right now, but its utility is such that it is heavily trafficked throughout the land. When gill silk is woven into your hair, or wrapped around your neck, or just in general adorning your body, It serves as a bridge between oxygen in the water and oxygen for your lungs, allowing you unrestricted uh, swimming time with no need to worry about running out of air. It is an item that uh, effectively lets you be underwater. It's not really breathing underwater, but it it, it allows you to remove that major concern of drowning for all of your underwater adventures. Is that what the um, the thief stole in your in your underwater game? So actually, uh, the, that thief stole a different item, which I'm not bringing to the to this today because, well, the the gill silk it's not my own creation. The gill silk is, um, but the 
that it is from that same sequence. So it was one of the other methods through which someone made it underwater. Gotcha. All right. I have um, as well the beard of befriending Daniel Fowler. I love this item. Check it out. Uh, even the most prestigious dwarven lord would admire this mighty beard. It retains its luster and softness long after its owner passes away. If you pull this beard off its deceased former owner and let it intertwine with your own beard, it will permanently bind with your face. While you live, the beard will act to preserve you both. It acts as an animal companion as described in the ranger playbook. Choose stats for it upon letting it intertwine with your beard. Isn't that great? It's That's basically a way amazing. of using a move from another playbook as loot, but with a great reskin. That's so fun. The The fact that it is specifically the animal companion move, but it's a beard, is really funny. The, I love the idea of like someone trying to like attack you with a sword and like their wrist being caught like by the beard mm -hmm. like lashing out and like that sort of yeah. thing what does that look like with hunt and track is it just a situation where your beard sort of wafts air up your nose and like isn't hunt and track like a different move right but so with a ranger if your animal companion helps with hunt and track i believe you get uh one of its one of its stats oh as a like bonus. like if you were a ranger and you yes. took this or something um oh that, um, sorry I, can... I guess that's a good point i i'm just in my head thinking oh hunt and track it's a ranger move but no of course well, I imagine you could get this as a ranger and basically have a second animal companion. But right. I, that could be something like you're kind of like looking at these tracks and trying to puzzle them out. And the beard just sort of points mm -hmm. in a direction. Right. You know? Discern realities with the beard. Spellcast with the beard. Yeah. Well, in I fairness. like the idea that it's um, it's it's holding its own pen and it's like mm -hmm. helping you transcribe spells. Yes. But meanwhile, it's called the beard of befriending, which means that kind of fundamental to it, it must also be such an exciting beard that other other people are really like interested in knowing you better as a result of having it does that right. create well, sort of a coveting relationship you but additionally uh yeah I, I bet like you'd probably get plus one to charisma mm -hmm. with certain you know with cert a plus one forward with like certain cultures right yeah. if they like extremely admired beards all right bear with me on this one because it's sort of a specific situation if my beard intertwines with someone else's beard and then our beards pull away from uh, if, if my befriending beard is then pulled into in twain does it become two befriending beards attached to two different people is it still my beard then does I think it that's how you create a hairball gremlin? yeah my, my instinct here is that this this beard is almost like it's almost like a cross between the venom parasite from spider-man and th it uh, or the thing from the thing Oh god, just made out of hair. Yeah. That's that's horrible. Uh this except, could become like the main baddie of your campaign. Yeah. Yes, it's definitely it's the Venom saga where Spider-Man needs to it needs to uh excise Venom from his personality, except it's a beard instead of a symbiote. <laughs> I like the idea that the beard starts like becoming so useful and so powerful that it's like it's like overshadowing the PCs where mm -hmm. it's like winning fights for them and stuff and they eventually have to like take it down because it becomes like too full of itself and yeah. like <laughs> and and how would you put a beard like this down kill it with fire i was gonna say shave but that makes sense too <laughs> just yeah if, as a, so, so many puns oh god as a if, person i can't really grow a very good beard does the beard of befriending just take no interest in me or is it a situation where it will intertwine with whatever it can find what even if it means diving directly into pores and follicles on oh, an otherwise clean I mean, face maybe I, I i imagine that like the moment of like trying to uh don the beard would be sort of like an excalibur-esque moment mm -hmm. where it's like if you're found wanting you know the beard will just like try to strangle you or gotcha. something so if a particularly worthy dog goes up to the beard does it intertwine into the fur oh goodness yeah that's how that's how you create like a wookie or something fantastic wow that's a playbook that i have yet to see for dungeon worlds um that i have seen for uh, some other like i saw a custom background for troika for example mm -hmm. and the background was just called the really good dog and you're just playing as a really clever uh mundane dog sure sort of a lassie figure yeah like i want to see a the good dog as like a playbook for dungeon world mm -hmm. could it be a compendium class a co well that would that would imply that you like became that later you know or something mm -hmm. like maybe you got turned into it well that could be a good yeah, it could be class okay. if I you was get actually turned thinking, into a dog thinking about it more in the in the sense of 
you know, it's a it's a it is a subset of what would make up a full class. So you stack it on top of your actual class. But we do that during character creation as opposed to the traditional way, which is in play. Oh, so so like, you know, you'd have the wizard playbook, but additionally, these couple other moves to like reflect that you're a dog or something. Yeah. OK, I feel like a that's one way to handle it. Yeah, it I'd could be anywhere from have background. Be own. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. It could be a background as well. I might have this as a death's bargain, too. You know, that Ooh. like maybe it's like, you know, I'll reconstitute you. But, you know, you got to deal with whatever bodies are available right now. And maybe it sends you back as a dog. Yes. In life, you were a loner, never trusting your companions, never, never expressing love for another. I will return you, but you must learn the value that is connection with your fellow man. You will and be so man's I, best friend. Precisely. So I will send you back. You may choose your breed. <laughs> the good pupper. Yes. Level three. All right, I've got one final item, and this is one um, that it's almost sort of like a collection of like vignettes, like made into an item, or it could be. Um, and it's the type of item where you don't find out everything about it uh, until until later. Uh, and the creator of this, similarly, I don't uh, I don't know exactly who made it, but if it's you, please write us. Um, but basically, this uh, item is the lost teddy bear. So the adventurers can come across this discarded teddy bear that obviously belonged to some child. And if they take the bear or if the first person to interact with it or touch it, um, and then whether they bring it with them or leave it, they'll soon find, um, occasional like tuggings on their, on their pant leg or on their hand. Um, or they'll find small items like missing from their gear, things that a child might be fascinated with. And they might find, um, small, uh, child-sized footprints like following them and whatnot and it's basically almost like a, a curse right that they they have like things missing from time to time and um they have uh you know the the, the this, normally these these disturbances these poltergeist-esque disturbances can be um can be allayed with um stern counting or with a now now no more of that will normally set them straight for a few hours but the true effect of this item is revealed when the character dies. Um, once the character rolls last breath, um, once it becomes time for them to roll last breath, instead of rolling, they simply see death approach them, hold out their arms, and from behind the character, a young girl or boy, depending on what you want, rushes out and rushes into death's arms, and death nods to the character, thankfully, and then sends them back. Whoa! twist so it's this kind of item that basically gives you a free pass you know on, la on last breath but the character doesn't necessarily know it until mm -hmm. it comes about so it can create yeah. that cool and moment. i suppose the player could know or not but yeah depending on yeah. In, in game stuff that's very cool it's fortuitous that you bring this up in part because one of my players uh in in a game did steal a toy goblin uh like a goblin stuffed toy um, oh, several episodes ago, uh, several sessions ago, I worked that we, I think of them as episodes now because that's just where my head's at. But, um, <laughs> yeah, several sessions ago, she stole a, uh, she stole a goblin toy. And now I'm thinking, oh, can I do something like this where it starts to, starts to have some sort of impact that is more than just, you know, stealing from a child? <laughs> cool. Well, these are some very fun and exciting items that have a place in everyone's campaign somewhere along the way. We've got things that are outside of your typical vein of magical weapons or things that are explicitly combat and antagonism focused. But let's change gears a little bit and get into meta talk, where we're going to be talking about the ways that we can use items in general as an ongoing element of our campaigns. I'd like to lead off uh, calling out a Google Plus post that I saw. I, d I haven't seen this until today when I was Google searching in, pre in preparation for this episode, but there was a post from 2013 on the Dungeon World Tavern, which is probably why I haven't seen it, because it would be like super deep down. 
um, from Adam Cobell, actually. And it was probably, I imagine this was like early on when Dungeon World was just coming out that he was like posting this like for community engagement. But he basically made a post about items where he, he'd put a couple custom moves and then he put a ton of new tags for items. Um, and one of them in particular is really cool. There's a, there's a move called Lord of Gifts, which is basically ritual, but like for crafting items. Um, so you could probably give this to any character you want, um, depending on how you want to employ it in story. But the move is basically when you engineer a design for a magical item, weapon, armor, artifact, etc., tell the GM what you aim to accomplish. The GM will tell you three or four of the following. You'll need to disenchant blank first. You'll need the aid of blank. You'll need to find some, some blank to use for it. It'll take an especially long time to prepare. It'll be unusually dangerous to craft, or you'll need to craft it someplace special. And then there is a an advanced move that requires that move, requires Lord of Gifts to use, called Forged in Soulfire. And it says, when you imbue a specially crafted item with your power, spend XP and roll plus XP spent, maximum of plus three. On a 10 plus, choose two tags to imbue the item with. On a seven to nine, choose one and the GM will choose one too. And then there's like a whole bunch of custom tags that he provides that are really interesting. Berserking, the item invokes rage in the wielder. Life leech, the item can drain life force. Soul stealer, anathema, blood drinker, lawful, chaos born, icy, fiery, defender, bane, etc., etc. Yes, we'll link to this post in the show notes. But one thing that I'm really interested in with this is that it does contribute a lot of new tags. And I think tags are one of those things where we sometimes... We sometimes lose our way when we're trying to create magic items in this game because we we think, oh, we're, we're limited to the, the tag selection in the book or, oh, we're, we need to keep it Dungeon World-like so we don't want to add, like, plus one everywhere. These tags are a really great way to get started on coming up with your own. And I think that adding your own tags to things that your players will encounter throughout the game is a great way to give your campaign a flair that is really unique to you and unique to what you're doing. Now, in Aaron's question that we're, that we're coming from, one of the big elements of it is how do you use items to propel narrative? How do you make them mechanically interesting? How do you make them something that players are interested in rather than just something players have and use? <laughs> and I do think that, that the vector for that is tags. Let's look, for instance, at what's really exciting about immolators, right? One of the cool things about Burning Brand as a move is that you get an item, typically a weapon, right there made of fire, and it is always dangerous. Which means that we should be looking at the dangerous tag because, you know, it's a fictional... Right. If it's that a, doesn't mean anything, then it's it's you're not playing the move its full effect. Totally. It's a fictional tag which gives you as the GM the opportunity to describe everything in terms of how it is destroyed by the burning brand. So we should take a look at whether Dangerous can can live in other items that we're coming up with. For instance, if I were to grant my players something that could that could channel electricity, for instance, something that bring, calls down a bolt of thunder from the sky, that's a really good place for Dangerous to fit in. It is dangerous to everybody, party and foe alike, which gives it a flair that fits really well at some of the some of the games I've run, which is we want to be describing the way in which these powerful characters are impacting the world and the forces with which they're impacting it are dangerous. The uh, the emulator specifically, I think they have an option um, in the burning brand move to remove the dangerous tag. Um, and like, if you play dangerous, right, then that might be a compelling choice. Like, I like the idea that, um, by default, the emulator's weapon is just like unwieldy that like, uh, it's hard to use in enclosed spaces because it endangers everyone around. The heat is very intense. Like only the mm -hmm. emulator can withstand it. Uh, candles nearby will become melted to a soup, like instantly. It might leave scorch marks on wood. It's very obvious. It might even be loud. It's extremely bright. It's like they're holding in their hands you know, like a mini flamethrower mm -hmm. they can't turn off, you know, right. in like a localized area. And, and what you're Whereas describing... it might be focused. If you turn the dangerous tag off, it might be like honed, where they can like use it like a scalpel, like a laser, you know? Totally. And what you're describing to me is just what it is when it is, it is when it is there. As soon as it's being used, that danger spikes up even more. 
at least oh, at yeah. least at my table. Earlier today, I was actually at a Renaissance fair, and one of the performers that we saw was a whip artist who does you know various tricks and jugglings and whatnot with a with a set of bull whips. And one of his tricks that he does is he soaks a whip in what I presume to be kerosene and lights it on fire and waves it around a whole bunch. And that is definitely a situation where you can immediately see when he flings the whip, it leaves a trail of fire behind. And that fire, you know, it's a it's a stage show. It's going to be under relative control. But in a combat situation where an emulator is using a similar move, like whirling a flaming sword around, little bits of fire should be landing on things. And we should be thinking off screen about how that fire is crawling up towards the tapestries. Uh, it's a it's an opportunity to really think about you know, it's an opportunity to say, oh, here's what's happening behind your head while you're so focused in on this, whether that's a hard move that you use later or just a soft move that's ongoing. Can I call out some of my favorite uh, tags that people are mentioning in the comments here? Yeah, totally. Some of these are brilliant. Um, Marshall Miller, um, who is known in the Dungeon World community for creating really good dungeon starter sheets. He has uh, a couple tags that he mentioned here. Chronomantic. The object only appears on the owner's person at certain times. And Adam responded to that saying, that's kind of funny. Uh, sorry, this sword is unavailable at the current time. Please try again later because you're already using it in the future or something. And then someone else uh, responded saying, summoned. This item can be called to you. The GM will tell you from how far away. Mm. Or impermanent. This item is not anchored in reality. When it's not held by its wielder, it's placed elsewhere. Or harmonizing. The object resonates with the wielder's voice, eerily enhancing it. Those are real fun. Those are great. It's funny you, you mentioned summoned, because summoned actually I, I was going to bring to the table as well in the context of other games and the tags that we can take from those games and bring back to our, our items here. Uh, summoned is is actually one of the ones that far beyond humanity an expansion for uncharted worlds has for um, weapons mechs uh, spaceships basically everything that you can call it into existence from nothing um, and then dismiss it back wait what has that uh it's that's just what the summoned tag does in far, far beyond humanity slash uncharted worlds oh wow that's yeah. really cool i like it a lot um also great from far beyond humanity we have um paired two weapons that act in perfect tandem mediocre if used separately i get mm. a real kick out of that because it we have like a two-handed tag in the in dungeon world which is about what you have to what you have to do in order to use something one-handed really um or in order for your fictional positioning to allow you to have an offhand this is sort of a flip of that where you explicitly can't just use one and that means that it opens up a bunch of new options for moves right if something is paired then a thing i can do is take away one of your swords and then force you to, to rely on just the other um hmm. it, it it's a great soft move uh where now the goal has to be to retrieve the other but you're not totally defenseless in the midst of it everything like you might be if your main sword is lost and you're left relying on a shield or a, a local bar stool, or whatever it is. Um, another great tag from Far Beyond Humanity is switching, which is you basically get to choose two other tags. The, wep the weapon can switch forms between those two. So you might say that something is forceful or messy at any given time, but not both. Um, so effectively, you, you, you get to use... Uh, in the system here, you basically get to pick... Um, a set of tags based on how good the weapon is. You get more or fewer tags. It's a way to fit two tags in the space of one. But I like the idea of something that can switch and have a different set of tags depending on what you want to be doing with it right now. Wow. When you said it could be forceful or messy, what I immediately thought of was some kind of um, like mech attachment for your arm or maybe like a sort of leaf blower looking item. And it can either like suck in air um, and then like pull people in and like grind up their arms or like parts of them Ugh. if they like get caught in it, which would be the messy part. Mm -hmm. Or it can blow out and it basically can like shoot concentrated like bursts of air to like knock people back. Sure. That'd be fun. So um, do you want to visit some of Aaron D's questions in particular? Let's do it. So 
Aaron D posts on the podcast channel and he says, um, all right, gentlemen, a question that I posed in the GM channel, but that I'd love to hear you weigh in on items, fat loots. Dungeon World is interesting because it preserves D&D-style level progression and character development, but it hand-waves gear. But acquired gear is fun, even if it's buying gear at Ye Old Market, even if buying gear at Ye Old Market is not. How do you use gear-slash-items in your games? How do you make them mechanically interesting, considered Dungeon World's simplified mathematics? How can you have... How can you or have you used them to propel narrative, a la the legacy weapon? Have you encountered interesting ways of handling loot that goes beyond the simple Dungeon World loot table? And how do you handle magic items, which has a similar set of questions, but has very different effects on the game? Cool. I think um, probably my first reaction to that is that Dungeon World doesn't hand wave gear, so to speak. Like, I don't think that, um, like, it illegitimizes it in any way compared to, um, to... D- like classic D&D, which it seems like a- a- uh, Aaron here is like kind of making comparisons to. Um, but it, I think the idea of Dungeon World is actually very interested in gear, is very um, enamored of the idea of flavorful items, and wants to like make them more frictionless, that like they can get into players' hands uh, more often. Because I have seen in playing D&D, classic D&D or 5th edition, that um, a lot of times we see less gear because it's a headache for the GM, that the GM is concerned with not giving out too many magic items because they're concerned about making the players overpowered, they're concerned about balance, or they're concerned about uh, the the sort of accrual of like too many rules sort of like piling on top of each other that makes it hard to manage all these items um, and that sort of thing, whereas I think items are just like sort of easier to deal with in... Um, in in dungeon world in a lot of ways and that goes uh from two angles the first being mundane gear uh, and stuff like that uh since that stuff is so much easier to handle then we can focus and give a lot of special attention and unique mechanics to the items that really matter like the magic items like i don't i don't want to have to have a paragraph of rules for just common rope you know and how that works right which is, i think the brilliance of, of adventuring gear um and you can still have players like shop for specific items if you want like there is the supply move Mm -hmm. you know and um you can um and there's a nice little uh, item list with common prices that is very handy i think that's something that gets overlooked um in some games that if you're playing in the traditional fantasy setting as a gm this is advice good advice to new gms players will invariably ask you what is the cost of xyz or is is xyz available here and if you spend a little bit just deciding like what the procedure in your game is to handle that kind of stuff uh it'll make it'll save up to like tens of minutes Mm -hmm. of the table it's amazing and the dungeon world rulebook does actually include all of that information in terms of cost and also other things you can spend money on as well which is nice it is it, it allows you not to hand wave it but to allow it to happen off screen a player can say, I'm going to get this, 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 and this because we're in a place where I could buy them and I have this much coin. And it it lets you skip through the the conversation, the haggling, the shopkeep. It, it spares you from having to come up with a voice and a backstory for your, your merchant NPC. But it also doesn't force you to do that. You, you can jump in with an interesting NPC that also serves as a quest hook. Or present something dangerous or interesting to the players. I uh, in um in D anD D, there's the idea that like even mundane items need to have some sort of stats. Um, whereas in in Dungeon World, like I I feel very comfortable just allowing my players to sort of pick up whatever they find and just say it's the thing that it is. Right. You know, like if you have you know a bottle. I'm not concerned with exactly how much liquid it can hold. I just want to see what interesting ways you can use mm-hmm. it in. And if necessary, you know, like if it's something serious that they have, like a weapon or something bigger, maybe I'll attach a weight stack yeah. to it. Like I might be like, that's one weight, that's two weight. But otherwise, like you can just kind of deal with gear as it is. One thing, sometimes if, um, if I want to allow players to pick up loot, uh, from just a location that's not, um, a big deal like if it's not like some big dragon's horde or something like say they just are raiding the um the bedroom of like a wealthy merchant i might say um i might kind of like extend the idea of adventuring gear to that like i might say like add three uses of alchemical gear you know to your Mm -hmm. inventory or like add three uses of legal documents 
Yeah. And so like what specific documents those are or like what specific alchemical gear that is is similar to adventuring gear. Or like when it becomes relevant, they can just kind of decide. Totally. And that allows that scene to like both have more narrative impact that like there's a greater chance that those things will actually be used on screen and be cool. Um and also makes it quicker in the moment that we're not concerned with like you know, looking up how much a Bunsen burner specifically weighs and that type of right. Because like uses is totally a tag. It's a tag that yeah. we see in a couple of different things. So making that part of how your item works is a really cool way to to clarify intent without necessarily having to come up with everything on the spot. You can even give uses to something else. Like here's an, here's a a, a, a a an item I just made up right now. The null sword. So this sword is basically um. It's a broadsword that basically looks like a scar in space. You can see kind of stars behind it mm. that move independently of the star itself. And when you hit things with the sword, they basically are um, are sucked into this rift. Um, and so it has the messy uh, tag as it can uh, pull beings into it. But it has three uses. Every time you use it, it gets smaller. So it goes from it goes from a broadsword to a rapier to a dagger, like as you as you use it as the rift kind of closes yeah. as more things fill it cool so the range changes too then it would go from, yeah so the range you know, tag would go it would go probably go from close um, to touch or yeah, close reach to, hand. to close to touch yeah cool yeah and, and that's a great example of a way that uh, of another thing that i was just thinking about which is you know one one other thing that you can do with items is have them change you brought up a bottle earlier and immediately in my head i jumped to well you could smash that bottle and use it as a weapon. Well, what does that mean? It means probably the bottle's got a tag like breakable. Uh, when it is shattered, it becomes something different. And then the shattered version of it is probably a touch weapon that does maybe that maybe is precise because you're not going to really hurt someone with strength in a bottle, but you totally are going to hurt them uh, by you know jabbing at something exposed. I think the overall concept here and the overall takeaway that's important to understand with items is that there isn't a difference between narratively interesting and mechanically interesting yeah. like a lot of people say like oh you know this item's mechanically interesting and in D, a lot of times what they mean is like it's got a lot of text yeah <laughs> like they just mean that it's got a big old there's like, a very specific time when it. this triggers and i get a plus eight and then there's another dice uh like why would you want something that's mechanically interesting but not narrative you know what i mean yeah. like if it's mechanically interesting then that means what's interesting about it is reading the item I mean, not actually and, using and it and that's because that's how dungeon world works right you're fundamentally what you're doing is you're impacting a shared fiction so an item that is that does not impact the shared fiction in, in an interesting way is neither mechanically interesting nor narratively interesting but there's this the the, the whole concept of tags in dungeon world allows um, us to kind of speak in natural language when we describe the item and then basically the item is made yeah and here's an example um one of the first times i was playing dungeon world it might have been like probably the, even like the second or third session i was doing with dungeon world i was um, playing with a bunch of players and i had presented them with a couple um supplements to see if they wanted to use them and we were using some of the classes from grim world and um, we were doing the whole thing where, like, the fiction of the world and the world building was kind of done based off of initial conversations and the players' choices. So one of the players had chosen a class called um, the Channeler, which is this very elemental-focused um, class. Um, it, it's a class where you basically use different tags to create different spells every time you um, do their main spellcasting move. So you might pick, like, Chaining, uh, Reach... Um, and like ice and you might shoot like ice lightning or something like that might be your, your, like your spell that you created based on how much hold you got from that move. Um, but the player also did a, a custom race, uh, that was one of the ones that's provided in the Grim World book, which I think was like a, um, a shard creature or something. So this player's body was made out of crystal. And what we decided in fiction was that this player was basically a living weapon that had been like, grown or created by one of the cultures in the world where they were trying to create these like beings of pure crystal that basically use as like living uh like super weapons or cannons that they are these basic like these avatars that they would unleash in the battlefield and in fiction this character was a uh like an electric version of that so like one of their special things they could shoot lightning but what i had them encounter in their travels another one 
like an, like a, another escaped experiment from the same culture um, to kind of like see if they would, you know, fight their own kind and that sort of deal. But this one was fire. And when they killed it, the player immediately asked, because um, I had the character, uh, I had the enemy do like a move where they would like shoot a concentrated beam of heat. And like several times during the fight, they did that. And the player asked if they could break off the arm and like use it. And I thought for a minute, because I hadn't anticipated this at all. And I thought for a minute and I was like, that would be cool as hell. Yes. So, I, um, and so I basically let them take this little crystalline staff. That's basically like the arm of this item. And I sat there for a minute and I was like, okay, it'll be, um, far range. It'll have the fiery tag where it can set things on fire. Um, and that's it, you know, and there you go. You've got, um, you've got a, basically an unlimited uses little like heat beam now. And it was great. And, and it kind of like was this moment for the characters too, where they realized that I didn't have to have like a little item prepared for them to like make use of their environment. That that question, can I take this and do this with it? Was like allowed to be asked. I think it was kind of like a formative moment, probably for me and role playing yeah. too. But it kind of it, it spoke to me like I hadn't really grokked like how flexible that system was until that moment where I was like, I literally can just sit here for a second and like stat this item up, so to speak, on the fly because it is so close to natural language of like what you just have mm-hmm. to think. What does this weapon do? And that's its me- that's right. its mechanics. Just like you know? when we're making a monster, we think about what the monster does and what the monster wants. With an item, we think about what the item does and what it looks like when it does it um and it's even i I think items uniquely are even easier than monsters because you don't even have to think about like how much health does it have or anything like that because um it's some items like for example will have no numbers you know like the only Mm -hmm. tag this item might have is close you know like for a sword or something which is great because um oftentimes like the less numbers we have on like a given thing that that sometimes in certain circumstances can translate to speed of play and like just smoothness of it because those things are taken care of in other places in the playbook exactly you already have a damaged die you know so that type of thing great so that covers at a very uh in in a couple of different ways the ways in which items make their way through dungeon world tags are how we describe what they do to the fiction fiction is the same as mechanics and when it it, when a player finds something that they can use, we figure out how it works on the fly using tags to I- describe how it impacts the fiction. So with that in mind, shall we move on to picture this? I have one more question for Ooh, you. Okay. Then we'll, we'll pump the brakes. Yes. Have you ever played um, Numenera? I have not. Or any of the like cipher system games? I have not. There's a principle in those games that has changed the way I approach items a lot which is that those games are really, really free with items, um, where in, in Numenera they're called Numenera, or they're called ciphers, mm-hmm. where you basically get these like old pieces of technology or whatever, but they're like inherently temporary, that these are like one-use things that like you use them and they break or they disappear, or um, you know you, you only know how to squeeze like one use out of them. Um, and they translate that same idea into Invisible Sun, I think just because it was such a fun mechanic, and they call it Ephemera, where basically like you have these little magic items that might be potions, they might be like one use scrolls, or they might be non-physical, like they might be just invocations that like they kind of come into your head and then you use them and they you, they disappear. Like these kind of like um fickle spells that you can sort of like absorb from the universe. Um but basically in out of character, what that translates to is that there's constantly this economy of like uh, encouraging the players to use these things because they know that like it's easy come easy go that as soon as they use it um they'll get more and it allows you to um have this kind of good flow of like new stuff coming across whereas um in some systems where there's this idea that like the items will never go away like in dungeon world like if a player picks up a magic sword they're going to have that to level 20 like that's going to be sitting in their inventory forever so you can kind of be worried about giving the player more of that type of thing because then they'll have like six different magic swords in their inventory and encounters will become a little cumbersome but if you have this idea that like a lot of things are temporary then characters will they'll actually use them you know it'll encourage them to not wait until that perfect moment or save it till a boss fight yeah. but that you can actually you know and it's really, and the, the way that these systems handle it is by like decks of cards that you actually have like a stack of like a bunch of 
pre-made items and you are just randomly handing them out all the time and it's like a really easy go-to for yeah. loot that sounds and fun. i've done that for dungeon world sometimes where yeah I, I put a bunch of flavorful items there and then when they are like looking like what's in this chest or something i might just like pull one of them out right you, you, know? you definitely want to avoid the elixir problem of final fantasy where you have this stock of 12 items that restore right, all your yeah. health and mana and you're only going to use them when you're fighting kefka because if you use them before that point you might need them during the kefka fight the um, I think that yeah. the way that these systems tackle that is that each character has a a limit, like they might have an ephemera limit or a cipher limit, uh, based on their their level basically, um, and they explain it narratively in different ways. Like for for Numenera, it's that like these items give off um, radiation or they give off of like specific frequencies, and if they're in close proximity to each other, uh, too many of them, the technology will start interacting negatively and they might explode. Or they might just like fizzle and they'll like deactivate one each other, or they can even make you like sick, but you've got too much of this. Um, and the characters, um, as they become more and more in tune with technology or more advanced, like they're better at mitigating that. And then in Invisible Sun, it's just that like the magic itself will negatively interact, that they'll disenchant each other, or they'll, cu- they'll curdle, things like that. I like the idea that too many health potions like collected all in the same place will, um, will start. Uh, mutating or they'll start like uh, turning your food alive again that kind of weird stuff so you can't carry too many of them on your on your person or their their healing magic will get perverted weird i like that a lot oh speaking of sort of weird living food have you noticed i feel like this this new room of this bakery that we're in now is a little bit a little bit hotter i'm noticing fewer sweets everywhere what's up with that yeah, I noticed that the door is like has a sort of grill on it. Yeah, and Ooh. has that kind of like that, that tempered glass that you might see like, on. I, I think I just scalded my hand oven. a little bit. Oh, uh, 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 yikes! Quick, Arthur, we got to eat our way out. We got to eat our this way corner. out. Cool. Well, in that case, time for us to feed our minds with picture this, the segment where we talk about something we'd like to see in a game. So I've recently watched uh, The Dragon Prince, the new Netflix original series from, I think, a lot of the same people who were involved with the Avatar The Last Airbender stuff. Whoa, I haven't heard of that. It's pretty good. I really liked it. I think that it it is a good start, and I'm hoping that they address some of the flaws in the first season as they create more content for it. But it, is it an animated series? It is an series? animated series. It uses a sort of hybrid computer animated and cartoony style, which moves in a weird way but looks very good when still so i'm still i'm still forming an opinion on it but interesting did you ever see the tron animated series i did not okay i think that just might be similar to what you're talking about anyway go on the dragon prince is cool because it and I, i i've saw i saw this on twitter kind of just following its launch it feels very much like dungeon world campaigns that i've played in where we are at the table we're having a good time we're exploring this world it gets a little dark in places you know the gm throws something at us a character that we like dies in in a dangerous circumstance because we couldn't do anything to stop it it kicks off a whole adventure but then it also has this sort of light almost modern slash fourth wall breaking element to it where you know characters will will reference things that happen outside of their fiction there's a really good winter is coming joke in the first episode which (laughs) is totally inappropriate for a kid's show and is very much just there as a way to to flag down the people watching it who are not in the target demographic, the core target demographic. It's a very accessible show in that way where there are references to things where the, the adults watching will get it and the kids watching it won't, but everyone will have a good time. And the th- this whole thing got me thinking... You know, in, in games that I run, I usually would, if, if, if it were a movie, it would be rated PG-13 or R pretty easily. There's a lot of violence in the games that I run. There's a lot of, you know, big fights with big consequences and a lot of descriptions about the way in which a barbarian sword tears through things or people. But it doesn't really have to be like that. Like I, watching this show, I sort of was seeing all these things that I have in my Dungeon World games, but then I was also not seeing the things that would drive it up in rating. And I started to realize how much fun it could be to play Dungeon World and explicitly set out to approach it like it's a kid's show or like it's something that should be accessible for all ages, where 
characters die, but they don't die graphically on screen. They they fall off of something, or they're knocked out, or they're put down for the count, or they they end up someplace where they have to climb their way back out, and the the threat is averted. Like Pokemon, yeah, you know, exactly. they're always knocked out. Things faint, but they don't they don't die permanently. And when something does die, it's something to talk about. You know, it's a big deal. So I would love to play a Dungeon World game with that as its prevailing aesthetic. Where, yes, the, the rules are the same, but we don't describe things in terms of how we kill the goblins. We describe it in terms of how we beat the goblins back, how we fight our way through, how we break the lines. Which, you know, it's, it's just a different tone. It's something that I think... It is underused, at least in games that I've played. So I want to, to try that. Like a G or PG rated exactly. campaign? That'd be perfect for me. There was um, a discussion at some point on, I think it was on an early, um, It was. I think there was discussion on a couple different episodes of uh, Distant Realities and also of Fear of a Black Dragon. They were talking about like a setting basically based on like the uh, the island of like the Lost Boys from like Pinocchio. Like, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Where it's like it's basically like a society of only kids, like with like sure. no adults, and that's been explored in like Peter Pan and stuff like that. Um, but I think that's like super interesting that like this whole little culture that's like trying to survive like might have childish uh, like misconceived notions mm-hmm. about things. Like they might not understand what like death even like really is. Or right. um, and, and to be clear, things like what that. I'm describing is not a, is not a show with where all the characters are children or where there aren't any adults around. But it's a show where the adults interact with the world as, with the same sort of gravity that they do in real life. You know, people die. There are real risks. War is terrible, etc. But then the actual action that's presented on screen. It reflects that without mirroring it, I guess. Gotcha. It's just making me think of the idea, like what sorts of things are different, um, like with through the eyes of of children. Because yeah. I've I've actually had uh, quite a few experiences playing Dungeon World with young kids, when playing other RPGs mm-hmm. with young kids, and it's a, it's a totally different experience. Like they, they don't ask the kinds of questions that um, you know, uh, like college students or adults would right. ask uh in the games and they're really not concerned with some things uh and they're really invested in others you know yeah. so it's i think i'd recommend it to any person uh, just to expand your mind as like a gm um cool yeah well maybe to expand my mind as a gm we should adopt some of these ideas in a couple of months when we get to our next actual play episode or our, our yeah. i guess oh, the, so our the the one after that because our next one is probably coming up soon we haven't picked a date yet but keep your ear to the to the ground on that one because we will be playing the conclusion to our quest for Mulsiver's flute the searing finale speaking of searing it's getting real steamy in here so let's sign off and figure out a figure out whether or not we can lock this witch in the oven yeah all right i think I think it's a parchment witch. So, thank you for listening to Play to Find Out. Once again, I've been Arthur. I've been Eamon. Uh, Voidlight on the Discord. We are uh, really enjoying making this podcast, and we hope you're enjoying listening to it. If you do enjoy it, we'd love to hear from you, either in a review on your podcast review app of choice, whether that's iTunes or other. Uh, and by joining the conversation on the Dungeon World Discord and the podcast channel, hitting us up on Twitter at play number 2 find out, or sending us email at playtofindout at protonmail.com. We love hearing from people. We love answering questions. We love getting ideas for what to talk about. As you heard, a lot of what we talked about today was based on a question that we saw on the forum. And that's been the case for the last several episodes. It's one of my favorite things about doing the show. And I hope that we get to keep on doing it. Yeah, it's a, I think it's a strength of us as a small show that like we literally can respond to all feedback. Yeah. Like if you talk to us, we'll talk back. Absolutely. And I, I know that I've definitely started playing in games with some people who are out there listening, and I love playing in those games, and I feel like I've learned a lot from playing those that I brought back here. And it's all thanks to the community at the Dungeon World Discord where we that we call home. And thank you for being that home. And hopefully we'll return there as soon as we escape from this 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 what I, I think I think we, we gotta say that it's an oven. I think it can't really be anything else at this point. Yeah, this is an oven. It's absolutely an oven. We're getting the we're going to turn this around. The witch will end up in this oven before too long. Calling it now. But we'll have to deal with that later because for now it's time for us to sign off. This has been Play to Find Out. Thank you for listening.